Okay, good morning, everybody. The sponsor of the Talmud Torah is Adam and Yudit Ben-Zev in honor of their children, Jake, Serena, and Rosie. Okay, we are in Pedalet Amud Beis, three lines from the bottom. Shmuel told us halacha yesterday that when it comes to saving a person's life, we don't go based on rove, we don't go based on majority, even though other places we rely on majority to assume something's kosher, to assume something's not kosher. It says, Shmuel told us when it comes to saving a person's life, even if there's a minority chance that you should save his life, still you're supposed to go and break Shabbos for the chance that there's a, there's a person there that should be saved. So ask the Gemara, Mi Amr Shmuel Hachi, did Shmuel say that? Vatanan. We learned in a Mishnah, Matzah Batinok Mushlach. The Mishnah's case is, let's say a person's walking in the street and he finds a baby. Okay, so obviously somebody abandoned the baby. So our question is, what kind of baby is this? Is this a Jewish baby or non-Jewish baby? Imrov Kusim Kusi. If most of the people in the town are not Jewish people, then you go based on majority and assume the baby's not Jewish. Imrov Yisrael Yisrael. If most of the people in the town are Jewish, so then you can assume the baby's Jewish. Mechza al Mechza. If it's 50-50, then the Mishnah says Yisrael. You deal with it as a Jew. So we'll see regarding which halachas, which laws is the Mishnah talking. Rav said... This is only talking, when is, when, if, when is it true that if it's mostly Jewish people, you deal with him as a Jew? That's lahachiosa, which means to go and give him funding from the tzedakah funds if he doesn't have, if he doesn't have money. But to deal with him, or to deal with her, who was a girl, as for sure a Yisrael, to allow her to marry a Kohen, so on that we're not going to rely on the majority Yisrael to allow her to marry a Kohen. Shmuel Omar, but Shmuel, and Shmuel said, hagal, that we thought Shmuel was going on that first statement, which was, if it's mostly Jewish people, you deal with it as a Jew. And Shmuel said, regarding what? Regarding hagal, that if a building fell down on this person, you can go and break Shabbos to save him in the case where it was majority Jewish people. So it sounds like Shmuel saying, but if it wasn't majority, you wouldn't go and save his life. So ask the Gemara, Shmuel told us yesterday that when it comes to saving a person's life, even if there's a minority chance, you go ahead, you break Shabbos. But Shmuel seemingly is saying here that the only time you'll go and break Shabbos for this kid is in the case that when he was found, Rove, majority, would tell you he was a Yisrael, he was a Jew. So what is it? Do you, is it true when you're saving somebody's life you go even with a minority, or do you need to have a majority telling you that you can go break Shabbos? So no, the Gemara clarifies, that this statement of Shmuel wasn't going on the case of the Mishnah when the baby was found and it was majority Jewish people. It was going back on the other case, Imrov Kusim Kusi, that in the case where a baby's found in a town and majority people in the town are not Jewish people, says Shmuel, Amar Shmuel, in Pikuach Nefesh, Eino King. Even though it's majority not Jewish people, but if a building fell on that person, says Shmuel, you would still go break Shabbos to save him, even though there's a minority chance that he's a Jewish person that would allow for breaking Shabbos. Okay, so meaning we're coming out that even for a minority, a person would break Shabbos to try to save a Jewish person. Imrov kusim kusim So when the Mishnah said 
if the baby's found in a town, which is majority not Jewish, so you, the, the Mishnah said he has the halacha like a non-Jewish person. So which halacha was it referencing? To allow him to feed him non-kosher food. Which means if you find a baby and it's 50-50, if the people in the town are Jewish or not Jewish, you're not allowed to feed him non-kosher. But if you find him in a town where it's majority not Jewish people, so then you're not obligated to pay for kosher food. You can assume he's a non-Jew, and therefore you don't have to buy kosher food for him. And for what halacha was the Mishnah saying? If you find the baby in a town where it's mostly Jewish people, he has the halacha like a Jew. For which halacha? That if you find his lost object, if it's mostly Jewish people in the town, he can come to you and demand it back. And for which halacha was the Mishnah saying? If it's 50-50, he has the status like a Yisrael. When it comes to damages, so the Gemara says, what's the case? Hey, dummy. I mean, the background is that if a Jewish person's ox gores a non-Jewish person's ox, he's exempt. If a non-Jewish ox gores a Jewish ox, he's obligated. When you get to Bava Kama, you'll see the whole Gemara trying to figure out what, why that distinction is true. But the Gemara says, what's the case? If our ox gored the ox of this child which we found, in a town where it's 50-50 Jews or non-Jews, and then the Mishnah would be saying that we would have to pay him. So the Gemara says, that's not true. Nice If my ox gored this child's ox, which it's a 50-50 chance he's a Jew, so it's a 50-50 chance I'm obligated, why would it be true that I'm obligated to pay? If you're not sure that I owe you money, I can say to him, prove to me I owe you money and I'll pay. If you can't prove it, I don't have to pay. So that can't be the case the Mishnah was saying that he's like a Yisrael. He has the status of a Jew. So Gemara says, no, let's go the other way. The case is that this child who we found, 50-50 Jew, we're not sure. Then his ox gored my ox. Half we can make him pay because whether he's a Jew or a non-Jew, he has to pay half. The other half, he can say to us, if you prove I'm not Jewish, then I'll pay the whole thing. As long as you can't prove I'm not Jewish, then I only have to pay what is muhrach, what's proven that I have to pay, which is the half. Okay. Says the Gemara, The Mishnah said, was talking about a case where a building fell on a person. The Gemara is saying, how do you read the Mishnah? Right? The Mishnah said a whole bunch of cases. It says, Suffolk, Husham, Suffolk, and Husham. It's not even clear somebody's there. Suffolk, Chai, Suffolk, Mates. It's not clear somebody's alive. Suffolk, Husi, Suffolk, so it's not clear if the person's Jewish. So we're saying, how do you read those lines of the Mishnah? The Mishnah is adding on bigger chidushim. It's teaching me new, new things. That the most simple case would be, you should break Shabbos if you're not sure if he's there. The Isa, Chai, Hu, but on the chance that he's there, he's alive. So then you would break Shabbos for him. The Mishnah says, no. Even if you're not even sure there's a person that's alive, still you can break Shabbos for the chance he's alive. Not only if you know it's a Jewish person. Even if you're not even sure that there's a Jewish person under there, still you could break Shabbos for the chance of saving that person's life. And then the Mishnah said, 
if when a person starts digging up this rubble, this building that fell down, and he found the person alive, so then the Mishnah said he should keep going. Ask the Gemara Pshita. That's obvious. It's obvious that if you found him alive, and he's still buried, so keep going to get him out. The Mishnah is coming to teach you, even if you know the person's not going to make it long term. In other words, he's injured to the point that he's not going to survive long term. But it's a question of short term life. Even for that, you break Shabbos to give the person chayisha, which is short term life. And then the Mishnah said, and if you find the person not alive, you should stop. The whole heter, the whole reason you're allowed to break Shabbos is to save the person that's alive. So it's obvious if you find him not alive, there's no reason to keep breaking Shabbos. Kamara is saying the Mishnah is coming to teach you something even according to the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda ben Lakish. So what did he say? Let's say a person has a fire and somebody in the family just passed away is in the house. So there's a fire in the house where there's a, where there's a person that passed away. Are you allowed to put out the fire to save the dead person's body from being consumed by the fire. So the first opinion says, you're not allowed to put out the fire. Putting out a fire in Shabbos is, is an Isra Raisa. So you're not allowed to break Shabbos for the sake of saving the body of the deceased. Amr says, So he held that you're allowed to. So why are you allowed to? So sorry, it, sh- it should be this type of putting out a fire is only a Durabanan. Meaning if you're only putting it out, you're not putting it out for the purpose of putting it out, you're putting it out just to save the person from being consumed. So Rabbi Huda Lakish said, I'm going to allow the person to put out the fire to save the body. Why is that? Rashi explains that... One second. Okay, let's see one more line. Rabbi Huda Lakish loka amr I'm sorry, I, I, made, I made one mistake. The, ton, the case is, are you allowed to move the dead person to get him out of the house to stop him from the fire? So, the, so that's mukta. Right? Moving a person who's not alive is mukta. Good. So the, the first opinion said, it's mukta. There's no, I'm not going to allow you to move the person. Rabbi Huda Lakish said, I'm going to allow you to move the person to get out of the fire. So, okay. Why did he do that? Because if I don't allow you to move the person, then I'm concerned the person's going to go put out the fire, which is even worse. So he's saying that because the Rabbanon were concerned a person will do something worse, they, they gave leniency to the prohibition of muksa to move the dead person. But says our Gemara, Even Rabbi Yudam Lakish, who allowed it, only allowed it because of what we just said, that a person naturally is going to be concerned about pre- preserving the body of the deceased. And he was concerned, if I don't allow you to move the body, then you might come to do something worse, which is put out the fire. But in our case, says the Mishnah, says the Gemara, where you're digging up a building which fell down. So the Mishnah said, if you find him not alive, you have to stop. There's no reason to continue allowing him to do something because there's no worse thing he could do in our scenario. By the dead person, he's saying, I'll allow for the mukta because if I don't allow for the mukta, it'll lead to something worse. It was, it was worth it 
to allow for moving the muksa. But our case where you find the person not alive, our Mishnah is saying, according to all opinions, you have to stop because there's no, there's no scenario where it's going to lead to something worse. Okay, says the Gemara, When a person is digging up this rubble, so how far does he check to see if the person's alive? One opinion says you check until his nose to see if you, if you feel air coming out. And the other opinion holds you should check until his heart. The Gemara is going to say later that we're talking if a person's checking and he gets to the legs first, meaning he finds the bottom of the person first. So one opinion saying once you feel his heart and you don't feel a heartbeat, you stop. The second opinion saying you should keep going and go up all the way till his nose to see if you feel oxygen coming out. If a person was checking on Shabbos and he found the people on the higher level of the rubble were not alive, person should not assume if even the people on the higher level are not alive, then for sure the people are under him are not alive. Rather, you should keep going. I mean, it's possible that even though the people on the top are not alive, the people lower down are still alive. There was a story, that this happened, that even though the people on the top of the, of the rubble were not alive, but people further down were yes alive. Kamar says, this machlokas which we found, should you check until, um, should you check his heartbeat or should you even go up to, up to his nose? Sounds like the following machlokas tanoim, detanya, mehechan havlad notzer mirosho. Fascinating disagreement. When a baby's born, what's the starting point of the growth of the baby? So the first opinion says mirosho. It starts from the head. Shinemra mimei imi atagozi. So Pasik's describing a baby in a mother's stomach and it says the words, and a pasuk in Yirmiya, we use the same gazi, says nizreich, which is a reference to the person's head. So he's understanding the connection between those two. Is saying that the baby's yitzira, the baby's creation, starts growing from the top. That it starts from the middle. And it grows both ways. So that what the Gemara is saying is the opinion that says it starts from the top would fit with the opinion that says that you should check for the air coming out of the person's nose. The opinion that says it starts more in the middle would fit with the opinion that says you should check for the heartbeat. In other words, if that, the Gemara is saying if that's the shorish, if that's the place that it started from, then that should be the biggest sign of the person being alive. The Gemara says, now, filotema abashol, can fit even like abashol, adkan lo ka'amr abashol hasmelin yitzira. The kol midi mimtziyasa mitzah. He's just saying, his opinion is that when a baby's created, it starts from the middle. But when it comes to checking for a person being alive, but he's going to agree when it comes to checking that you should even check up to the person's nose. In other words, if you got to the heart and did not feel a heartbeat, he could agree you should keep checking to feel air coming out of, to feel if the person's breathing. Because the Pesach talks about a person being alive is if there's ruach haim ba'pav, if there's, if there's life in his nostrils, if there's air coming out of him. Amra papa, machlokas mi matalamailo. The machlokas we're discussing is if a person starts checking and you find the bottom of the person and you're, you keep digging, should you stop at the heart if there's no heart rate? Or should you continue going all the way up to the person's face? Aval mi mailo lamata. But everyone agrees once you start from the top, in other words, you find a person's head first, 
Kever the Badak Lathchot Moshuvein Otsarich. That once you got to a person's nose, mouth, and didn't feel any air coming out, then you should stop. Because the Pasuk sounds like the main determination of a person's life is based on coming out, of his, coming out of his nose. In other words, we're saying everyone agrees the biggest sign is, is air, air coming out of the, breathing, the person breathing. The machlokas only is that if you, if you start from the bottom of the body and you get to the lack of a heartbeat, so does that prove it enough to not allow you to continue going? Or the other opinion says that no, that until you've proven that the person is not breathing, then you have the right to keep breaking Shabbos to try to see if he's alive. So Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Lozer and Azari were all walking. The Levi Haseder, so that word Haseder, Rashi says, he doesn't know exactly what that word Seder means. Thank you. Rabbi Shmuel, Benosha, Rabbi Lozer, Ben Azari, Mahalchan, Achreyim. And there was other Tanayim walking after them. Nisha Shaila Zubifneim. And the following question was asked. Minayim lepikuach nefesh shadoches hashabbos. What's the source where we've been learning about that you can break Shabbos to save a person's life? So the question was, where do we find that in the Torah? What's the source that a person can break Shabbos to save a person's life? Nene Rabbi Shmuel v'omer. Rabbi Shmuel said, that the Pasuk describes if a person sneaking into somebody's house, so the halacha is, if a person sneaking into your house, then you're allowed to kill them. So he said, meaning unless it's an exception case, for example, like if it's a close relative which you know they're not coming to hurt you, then not. But, but the, the normal case, then a person's allowed to kill the person. So, so says Rabbi Yishmael, this person who's coming into your house, that it's not even clear, is he just coming to rob you? Or is he coming to kill you? And murdering is a terrible thing, that it makes Eretz Yisrael Tameh, it it's a cause for the, for the Shechina of Hashem to, to be removed. In other words, we see that the Aveira, the sin of killing, is a terrible thing, and still, in this situation where it's not clear if the person's coming to kill you, still the Torah allowed you to kill him. So if that's true, he held all the more so that if it's a question of breaking Shabbos for the specialness of a person's life, a person's allowed to do it. Okay, so that was his source, that where you would see in the Torah that a person's allowed to break Shabbos to save a person's life. Nana Rabbi Kiva Omar. Rabbi Kiva said a different source. Pazik says, Lahargos, that means a person planned to kill his friend. The Pazik at the end says, From from the Mizbeach, he should be taken to die. The Gemara understands that if he's actually a Kohen doing a Vodah, he's in the middle of shechling the carbon for the morning, and he's a murderer, he's the type of person that we need to take out to kill. So the Gemara makes a drasha from the Pasuk that you wouldn't stop him from his avoda, you would let him finish, and then we would get on with, uh, with the rest of the day. You don't stop him from the avoda he's in the middle of. Rabbi said that that's true when it comes to taking the person out to get killed for the murder that he did. But if the, per, if the Kohen is doing Avoda and 
there's a different case going on in the courts. There's a, there's a, a case going on in the courts where we're deciding if this person is deservant of the death penalty. And the Kohen is in the middle of shechting the carbon says, I know something about this case. I have a reason to exempt that person. So he said, then we would stop the avoda. The Kohen would drop what he's doing, drop the knife, and go to Bezdin and try to save this Jewish person who we were ready to paskin on that he's obligated in the death penalty. So, if I have a case, where it's not even clear that if, when, the when this Kohen comes to Bezdin, we have, no we have no clue if he's going to say anything which is going to change what we're going to say. But the fact that there's a chance that he's going to save a Jewish person in the court, we tell him to drop the avoda that he's in the middle of, drop the service and the Beis Hamikdash he's in the middle of. And avoda is docha Shabbos. We know that a Kohen does things on Shabbos and the Beis Hamikdash, which typically is breaking Shabbos. So I see... The Torah gives such weight to the avod and the Beis Hamikdash that even something which typically is breaking Shabbos, like shechting, a Kohen's allowed to do. And I see that even though avod is so special that it breaks Shabbos, but still if it's a question of a person's life, the Kohen drops the avodah, drops his service in the Beis Hamikdash to go maybe save somebody's life. So if I put it together, I see that saving a person's life is more special than avoda, which is more special than Shabbos. Because avoda, the service of the Beis Hamikdash, breaks Shabbos, but the Kohen drops avoda for the chance of saving a person's life in the court case. So if potentially saving somebody's life trumps service of the Beis Hamikdash, which trumps Shabbos, so he says then you have a source that's potentially saving somebody's life, Trump Shabbos. So that was Rabbi Kiva's source. Okay, about four lines down, Peham would base. Nene Rabbi Elazar ve'omer. Rabbi Elazar said a different source for how you know that you can break Shabbos to save somebody's life. Uman mila shi echad mimasayim v'arbo. V'arboim mishmane v'arm shabba'odam. Mila is one of the 248 evarim in a person. Is docha esa Shabbos and you're allowed to break Shabbos to give a child a milah on the eighth day, all the more so to save a whole person's life, you can break Shabbos. Right, so this one needs a little bit of explanation. Saying, since the Torah said you can do a milah on Shabbos, so all the more so you can break Shabbos to save a person's life. It's like, well, what's the comparison? Well, what do you see in milah on Shabbos that has anything to do with saving a person's life? Right, it would sound like the Gemara is saying, if you can do Mila and Shabbos, which is some type of saving a person's life, so all the more so if you're saving his whole body, then you could do it. But what is there in Mila, which has anything to do with saving a person's life? So Rashi says that not doing Mila is the cause of Kares, which is a punishment to the person. So Mila, which is the cause of Kares, which is a punishment to the person's life, Still, the Torah allowed for breaking Shabbos. So if there's a danger to the person's life right now, all the more so it should break Shabbos. So that, that's a, just an interesting limit. It's looking at Mila as there's, a, there's an aspect of Sakana, of danger involved, because it's of the source of the punishment of Karis, which ultimately gives danger to the person's life. If Yosi Rebihu, the fourth source, that, that you can break Shabbos to save a person's life, Omer es Shabsosai tishmoru. 
Pasuk says you should keep Shabbos. Maybe it means no matter what, you should keep Shabbos, even at the expense of somebody's life. No, the Pasuk says, Ach is always a limitation. So it's saying you should keep Shabbos, except, and he's understanding the exception is for the sake of saving a person's life. Rav Yonasan ben Yosef Omer, fifth source, Ki Kodesh Hilachem, which he darshans, He misur biyadchem, Vlo atem misurim That Shabbos is in your hands, you don't have to give in because of the Shabbos, which means you don't have to give in your life because of Shabbos, hinting that when it's a question of a person's life, a person can break Shabbos. Rav Shem ben Minasya Omer, I think the sixth source, unless I'm miscounting, Visham Rav Neishos HaShabbos. The Pasuk says that Klal Yisrael kept Shabbos. Amr Tur Chalel Alav Shabbos Achas Kedei Sheishmer Shvisas Shabboses Harbe. He's darshaning that a person should keep one Shab, a person should break one Shabbos for the for the ultimate benefit of keeping more Shabboses in the future. In other words, the Torah would rather a person drive to the hospital today on Shabbos to save his life to enable him to keep many Shabboses in the future. Okay, so that was the five or six sources in the Tanoim for the question of how do you know that you can break Shabbos to save a person's life. Um, Rav Yehuda Marshmuel, Rav Yehuda Marshmuel, which is an Amora, which is much later, he said, If I was part of that conversation, I would have said a different answer than they all said. I would have said, I would have said that the, the Pasuk says, I want you to live by the mitzvahs and not die by the mitzvahs. Right, so this is the contrast of the Gemara we learned the other day. Right? The Gemara we learned the other day was the three exceptions when a person has to give up his life. All right, idol worship, illicit relations, and murder. So the except, meaning the rule for all the rest, is from this Pasuk, V'chai Bahem, which teaches us that in general, except those three, the Torah want, would rather a person save his life at the expense of doing the Aveira. So he's saying, I would have said that source itself tells you that the Torah would rather you give up your life, I'm sorry, the Torah would rather you break Shabbos to save your life, as opposed to keeping Shabbos and the, and the person passing away. The Torah wants a person to live despite the fact that a mitzvah would have to be transgressed. So, Rava said that all the answers of the Tanoim I could ask a question on, except for Shmuel's source, I don't have a question. The first source, which was a person who's coming into your house, where it's not even clear that he's coming to kill you. And the person the Torah allowed you to kill him. So Doma Rava. I could argue in that source because of what Rava said. Rava, my time with the Rava said, What's the reason the Torah allowed you to kill the person sneaking into your house? Because there's a strong assumption that the natural response of a homeowner is that if a person's coming in, you don't just back down. The natural response is you try to defend yourself. And the person sneaking in knows that he doesn't expect the person whose house he's sneaking into is just going to welcome him in and say, make yourself at home. He expects that the person whose house he's sneaking into is going to try to put up a fight. Therefore, it's in the mind of the intruder that if it comes to it, I'm willing to fight the person who's going to stand up to me and kill him. So in other words, it's really we're working with an assumption that it's not maybe he's coming to take your money, maybe he's coming to kill you. Rav is saying the reason for the Torah is 
that you can assume he's coming to kill you. Why is he coming to kill you? Maybe he doesn't really want to murder. Because if he's coming to take your money, he knows that very often you're going to stand up and the only way he's going to get your money is if he kills you. So therefore, So we deal with it as if he's coming to kill you so you could kill him. So therefore, Therefore, Rav is saying, once that's the correct understanding of the parsha, which is that it's not maybe he's coming to kill you, maybe he's coming for your money, it's really he's coming to kill you. Because even if he's coming for your money, he's only going to get your money if he kills you. So therefore, all you see in that parsha is a person who's coming to kill you, you could kill him. But you don't see in a case where there's a question of a person's life that you're allowed to kill them. In that case, it's like 100% he's coming to kill you. So what would be your source that if there's a question if a person's going to die, you can go break shams? And Rabbi Akiva's source also, I could argue like Rabbi Akiva's source was that if you can break Shabbos by doing the Avoda. So I see the specialness of Avoda over Shabbos. And if we tell the Kohen is doing Avoda to drop what he's doing, to run to the court to try to save a person who we were going to paskin on that he's obligated the death penalty. So I see that um, we care about a person's life more than avoda, and if we care about avoda more than Shabbos, so then the chance of a person's life should break Shabbos. That was his source. But the Gemara is saying, I could argue like Abayi said, because Abayi said, Abayi said that before the Kohen, we say, Kohen, slow down. Before you drop what you're doing in the Beis Hamikdash and go run to the courts, we're going to get two people to come and talk to you, and let's hear what you have to say. If it sounds like you have some legitimate argument about that court case, then we'll let you drop what you're doing. But if you don't really have any good argument, it's just your friend in court, and you're trying to just come up with something to save him, so in such a situation, we're not going to let you drop the, the carbon that you're in the middle of. And once that's the case, so then it's not really a good source. The source was saying, even though we have no clue if he's saying anything good, it's a total suffix, we're not sure. Still, we drop the avoda, so all the more so we should break Shabbos. But the Gemara is saying, if you say it like Abaye, then that case is not really, we have no clue. That case is really, we interrogated him, we, 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 we discussed with him, we heard that he had a very good legitimate argument to save the person in the court case. Then we let him drop the avoda. So then your whole source is only in a case where you know he's going to save somebody's life, you can drop avoda. So in that case, you can break Shabbos. But how do you know in a case where it's not so clear? It's not so clear you're going to be able to save the person's life. It's all you proved is a case where it's for sure. How do you know in a case where it's not so clear? So in all, if you go through all the answers, you can really come up with the same question, that that's not a clear source for a case where it's suffik pikuach nefesh, where it's a question about the person's life. But Shmuel's source, which is the Torah said, v'chai bahem, I want you to live by the mitzvahs. The Gemara is saying that we don't have a way to disprove. It's better to have... Um, one pepper, which is very sharp, than a whole basket of, of not-so-good ones. In other words, you just need one good answer um, as opposed to multiple answers which are not, which are not so proven. Says the Mishnah, that if a person brings a chatas and an ashram, which are karbonos, 
offerings that he's, that he's obligated in for doing certain sins. So they are mechaper. In other words, they atone for the sin that a person did to deserve them. That if a person gets the death penalty for whatever sin that he did in Yom HaKippurim, or mechaper atone for the sin the person did with tshuva, with repentance. Tshuva mechaper salaveras kalos, that tshuva itself, a person doing repentance, atones for the more lenient sins, like an assay. A person didn't say Kriya Shema one day. It's an assay. If a mitzvah is assay to say Kriya Shema twice a day, a person missed it. So all a person needs to do to get an atonement for that is tshuva. In other words, he doesn't have to bring an offering. He doesn't need Yom Kippur. He can, he can say to Hashem, I'm sorry, and he's, his, if, if, if he does the correct process of tshuva, so then his, his Avera is taken care of right, there, right then and there. Valosa say, a negative prohibition. So let's say a person eats something he's not supposed to eat, nevela. Okay, so it's a losa say. So all a person needs to do for tshuva is to, is to say the vidoi, go through the, the normal tshuva process, and then he's done. He doesn't need Yom Kippur. His, his, his atonement was achieved right there. Valachamuros, but for more stringent averas, more stringent sins, then the person cannot achieve a full atonement just by doing tshuva. He needs Yom, Yom Kippur, which is a day that Hashem set up, has the ability to be mechaper, to atone for sins a person did. So for certain sins, he needs the combination of tshuva, repentance plus a Yom Kippur to get his slate clean for that avera. Ha'omer tshuva. Person who says, I'll sin and then I'll repent. I'll sin and then I'll repent. So Hashem won't give him the ability to end up repenting. In other words, he, he's, he's planning his mistake and his fixing the mistake. The Mishnah is saying that Hashem is not going to allow him to fix that mistake. A person says, I'll sin. And Yom Kippur will take care of me. Yom Kippur won't take care of that person. The way I would understand it is that the whole concept of tshuva this is what the Svarim talk about, is, is, a, is a chiddush. In other words, it's surprising. Right? If a person breaks a window, so you can't just say sorry and the window's not broken. You broke a window. Right? So the effect of a person doing, doing an Aveira, doing a sin, has a negative effect on himself, on the world. So the concept of tshuva, that a person saying sorry can fix the broken window, is a surprising concept. The way I would understand it is that the Torah gave such a concept, obviously, for the benefit of us to be able to repent and come back. If a person plans to take advantage of the system, so then the system was never given for such a person. Right? So then you're back to, you broke a window, so how are you going to fix the window? The Torah created a system to allow for a person to uproot the actions which he did, but if a person plans to take advantage of the system in place, so for that it was never given. A sin, which is between him and Hashem. So, for example, eating the veil, eating a food he's not supposed to eat. Then, Yom Kippur's mechaper. Then when he, when he does tshuva and he gets the Yom Kippur, he's mechaper. But if a person did something between him and his friend, a person stole, damaged, etc. Then a person can't achieve an atonement until he asks forgiveness from his friend. In other words, if you do something to affect your friend, so then you really have to appease your friend, apologize and get him to okay it, say it's okay, I forgive you. 
plus, then you go through the normal tshuva process of tshuva and Yom Kippur, whatever type of Aveira it is. What was the source of this distinction that the Pasuk says, from all your sins which are lifnei Hashem, before Hashem titaru, which he understood, the type of sins which are lifnei Hashem, just between you and Hashem, so then you'll become cleansed. Sorry, I just lost my place. Okay, so he, he understood from that Pasuk that Averish, which are Lifnei Hashem, then a person can get an atonement, but Averish, which are between a person and his friend, so then he needs to ask forgiveness from his friend first. Praiseworthy are you, Yisrael. Look, look how lucky you are that you, you get to become Tahor, pure, in front of Hashem, who's the one who purifies you, who cleanses your Averus? Your father in Shemaim. Pasik says, I'll, I'll sprinkle on you the pure waters and you'll become purified. Just like a mikvah has the ability to take the tumma, the impurity, off the person, so to a Kodesh Baruch Hu, can purify a Jewish person. In other words, it's, it's speaking out the specialness of the opportunity of tshuva, that it has the ability to cleanse the person from things that he did. Asham vadai in, asham talilo. The Mishnah sounded like that in asham vadai, which is if a person for sure did certain sins wrong, then he's obligated in a carbon chatos. Asham talui is if a person's not sure if he did that thing wrong, so he had two pieces in front of him, one's kosher, and one is chalif, something he's not allowed to eat, and he ate one of the two, and he's not sure which one he ate. So it could be he ate something totally fine. Could be he ate something which is obligated a carbon chatos. So in that case where you're not sure, the Torah created a new parsha called Asham Tali, the type of carbon you bring in a situation where you're not sure. So as the Gemara, the Mishnah sounds like the case of a chatos, when he knows he did it wrong, that's an atonement. It would sound like from the Mishnah that if he's not sure, it's not an atonement. But it says in the Pasuk that it also atones for the person. So why would the Mishnah sound like it's not? So the Gemara's answer is the Mishnah didn't say it because the case where the person's not sure, it doesn't give the person a full atonement. Which means, in other words, when a person has that situation where he's not sure, so he brings this offering, then the next day he remembers, oh, I ate the wrong thing. So he, he has to bring another offering, which is now the chatos. So in other words, it atones for the situation as long as he's not sure which thing he did wrong. But once he realizes his mistake, so then he didn't really get an atonement, he has to bring another offering. There's a distinction between a person who for sure did something wrong and a person in the situation where he's not sure, what's the difference? That if a person ate something 100% wrong, the chaylev, then he's obligated in a chatos, that offering. If Yom, Kippur, if Yom Kippur goes by, he still has to bring the same offering. But the Gemara is saying the halacha is in the situation where the person is not sure, where the extent of his chiv, his obligation is that Carbon, which is called an Asham Talui, the Gemara is saying the halacha is that once Yom Kippur goes by, 
the person gets exempt from bringing that offering. So the Mishnah didn't say the case of Hashem Talui because there's a certain leniency which is built in different than the case of Achatos. It sounds like by themselves they would not atone. Name of the local Rebbe. This would be, sound like not the opinion of Rebbe. Rebbe's opinion was, sorry to say, I don't think we held like this. But Rebbe's opinion was that all sins a person does, he just has to go through Yom Kippur. It would sound like he can be sleeping in bed. He doesn't have to do tshuva, he can go through Yom Kippur and the Torah created an atonement. That was Rebbe's opinion, except chutz miperik ol, a person which, which Rashi explains is denying the existence of Hashem. Megala panim a person who explains the Torah in negative ways. He says there's no reason for the Torah to write this. Umefer bris basar, which I think the simple explanation would be he didn't, he didn't do a bris milah. Shemasa tshuva yom kippur mechaper. Rebbe says by those three if a person does tshuva, then Yom Kippur helps him. If he doesn't do tshuva, Yom Kippur does not help him. So what the Gemara is driving out is Rebbe's opinion was by everything except for three, Yom Kippur is a mechaper, atones for the person. Our Mishnah, the Gemara's understanding, would have sounded like that a person needs to do tshuva plus Yom Kippur. So that sounds not like the opinion of Rebbe. No, Afilotema Rebbe, tshuva boy Yom Kippur, Rebbe agrees a person who does tshuva needs Yom Kippur to get atonement for certain sins. Yom Kippur, Lubay Tshuva, he just held that Yom Kippur is okay without tshuva. But he could, he could be like the opinion of our Mishnah, and he would understand it as saying that if a person did tshuva, certain Aveiras still need Yom Kippur to give him a kapara. Okay, thank you, everybody. This is my last day for this, for this span. The rabbi's coming back tomorrow, at least through Tishabov. Then we will see what happens. Thank you very much.